Good morning, New Life Church. It is fantastic to be here with you this morning. This is my first service back in person. Um, And as somebody that lives alone, who always does church alone, who tries to listen to the key points of the sermon uh, and their cat is screaming at them in the background because they need to be pet or people are calling because, you know, it's just an interrupting flow and I'm sitting on the couch and sometimes I'm tuned in, sometimes I'm not very tuned in. Uh, What a blessing it is just to be here in person with you all. If you are a youth or a young adult, you will understand the term that I'm about to use here this morning. I am incredibly mom's spaghetti. What that means is palms are sweaty, the knees are weak, the arms are heavy, mom's spaghetti. I am uh, incredibly nervous to be here, not because I struggle with talking. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jordan Vesa. I grew up in this church. I've been a part of New Life for as long as I remember. Uh, It was within these walls that Joan Porcher led me to Christ. And it is just so humbling for me to always come back and to deliver God's word because without you guys, I wouldn't be sitting here. So thank you all for joining us this morning. For those of you that are online, thank you for taking the time to tune in. I hope to see your face soon as well. But the reason why I'm nervous today, church, is I'm going to deliver a convicting message. What we're going to do today is we are going to look internally to uproot weeds so that we can grow and serve God and serve others better. Now, the good news with that, even though it comes with a lot of work and a lot of internal reflection, it is only going to bring you to a place of more fruits of the Spirit, peace, joy, patience, kindness, etc., This is something that we want to do that is commanded by God. Having patience is not optional when it comes to being a follower of Christ. So I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer here to prepare our hearts and minds for some of the hard words, some of the deep words uh, that I'm going to say today that will cause you to reflect. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, so much for the ability to gather together. You created community Christ walked with disciples. Uh, We are his church, Lord, and we are here today because it is a command to gather with one another, to serve one another, to tune into your word so that we can grow to better serve our communities, to be better ourselves, and to be more like Christ. Because at the end of the day, God, it is nothing that we do but all that you have done and the work that you are doing in our lives. And I know that there's people through COVID, maybe it's been a year, they haven't seen much change or they feel stagnant, God. You demand change daily from your people, change that is only going to grow them to experience more of your joy, more of your blessing, more understanding of your provisions. So as we dig deep on a heavy topic of patience, something that every single person has struggled with over the course of their life, God, I pray that you would just relax the hearts of the people that they would receive your word because it is so true, God, that you have a specific message for each one here. I pray they leave changed and that tomorrow will be different than today. In Jesus' name, we give you all the glory, not by my words, but by your word and works alone, Father, we pray. Amen. So, patience. Oh my goodness, something that I've struggled with over the course of my entire life. Something that I really like that Rusty was talking about last week is life change that begins on the inside. 
as Pastor Rusty put it last Sunday, not about who you are, but what God is making you to be. I have a few disclaimers before I get into the nitty-gritty details of the sermon. The first being that I went way over in the first service, so you guys are blessed because I've, I've cut back some stuff to keep us on track here. I've also been told that I still didn't speak as long as Pastor Rusty, so I mean, we're, we're all good there. But the other disclaimer I have, church, is I am going to bounce around a lot of scripture. I think it's very important that when we are trying to learn from God that it's more him speaking and more his word and his truth than my opinions or my thoughts or anything that I could say. So as I bounce around, you will not need to, every single time, turn to your Bibles. Uh, we are just going to fly through some material that all relates to itself, but do not feel pressured if I start saying, you know, John and then Mark and then Matthew and I'm jumping. There's no pressure for you guys to keep up. The main goal is to sit there, reflect inwards so that you can grow outwards. So, the work of God, not of yourself. Take the pressure off yourself. I'm nervous, I'm sweaty, I'm not in my best Sunday attire, but the best thing about that is God doesn't care. He's like, you showed up, you're obedient. You guys all showed up in obedience. He, he, of course, you know, it's, it's a level of respect in, in how we show up to church and things like that, but God does not care where you're at today. All he cares about is how willing you are to be used by him, how willing you are to be changed by him. So we showed up. Take the pressure off yourself because all you have to do is obey and you will naturally grow. We only lack growth when we are not obeying and when God is not the priority, when we're concerned about our own jobs, or saving to get this car because it's going to better our life in this way, or we need to go on this trip because it's going to feel this type of way for us and give us this and that. Nah, that's not the priority. If you start your day with God, if you take Him with you in your day-to-day -day trials and tribulations, in your mountains and in your valleys, if you finish your day with Him, if you give Him more than just five minutes before you eat food or before you go to bed, and you take him with you, he will provide beyond what you can imagine, and he will give you a life so satisfying that you're going to look back and wonder, why did I ever want to go my own way in the first place? Why did I have these doubts? How, everything that I thought I would have done this way or turn out to be how I envisioned them is going to be far better. Sorry, I need to backtrack. is incredibly hard work and the most difficult way to live in today's society of selfishness. But that is the only way worth living, church. Last week, Pastor Rusty mentioned at the beginning of his sermon that we ask too little of God. Seems kind of unfathomable at times because of how much God does for us. But Rusty says that we ask too little. As God gives us all we need and beyond, it is a true statement. You have not... Because you ask not. Oftentimes, we ask for stuff that doesn't even excite God. We ask for a bill to be paid, or to give us a vehicle that's going to benefit us, or for a raise and a job so that we can afford this and these things that we think we so desperately need. We ask for experiences to travel. I know 
uh, Pastor Rusty and his family are visiting family on vacation right now that they haven't seen in a year. That's a huge request. Some of us during COVID, we've been without certain people that are necessary for our health. We ask for money to buy this thing, whether it be a tattoo or, did anybody get a dog during COVID? Anybody in here get a dog? We feel like we need a dog because now we're at home all the time and we need something to fill a void or a new TV or a new phone. Maybe it's new equipment for the farm so that you're more successful. calls us to be obedient to for his glory or is it for us what purpose is our success god looks at all those little tiny requests with a smile because they are so small matthew chapter 6 verses 26 says look at the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not much more valuable than they when you're thinking about what you're asking God for, and we know in Scripture that He already has victory over so many things, over all things, of course He's going to feed you. Of course He's going to clothe you. Of course He's going to look after you on the basis level of provision. What we're talking about here today, church, is that we need to recognize that nothing we have is our own, and all we do is reciprocate His generosity through our own giving, of finances, time, emotions, but that the things that we're asking God for are so small in comparison to what He wants to give us out of life, which is the fruits of the Spirit. And I wonder, here this morning, I have this pressure that I went over time, so I feel like I'm talking too fast, so I'm just going to... I wonder how often we ask God for fruit. True change from the inside, a complete transformation of every aspect of who we are given to us in a new heart through our acceptance of who Christ is and what he has done for us. That belief that completely recreates who you are. Colossians chapter 3 verses 3 to 4 says this, your old self has died and your new life is kept with Christ in God. Yes, Christ is now your life and when he comes again, you will share in his glory. Your old self has died, Christ is your life. So when we think about the things that we want or need, or it all comes down to, is it making us more like Jesus? Does that actually sink deep? into the core of your heart and your soul and your mind, that your old self before Jesus doesn't even exist. If you, here's a big challenge, if you spoke out loud everything that you wanted out of life, all the things in your head, all the things that you are envious that other people have, everything to do with today, if, if you had a list of everything that you wanted and Jesus appeared beside you, would he have all of those things on his list as well? Would everything that you desire be in line with the desires that Christ has for your life? Oftentimes, the reality is, Christ wouldn't even care to have 1% of anything our earthly flesh dreams of. I know for myself, I often look back on my life with, with past regret or guilt, um, times when I've lied to my parents, times when I've made poor decisions at parties, times when I've decided to go my own way instead of being obedient to God, even when I know 
what he's asking of me, and I go the opposite way, kind of like Jonah. I have all this guilt, but the cool thing, church, is that you, that person doesn't even exist. Sinful Jordan, broken Jordan, Jordan without Christ, he's no longer there. You are new, created in Christ today, made beautifully in his image for a specific purpose. So you actually don't have to worry about the past because God's not thinking about it either. So often I see so many believers come to know the Lord, but they want to have the same personality. Just with the surface level, materialistic provision, and you know, good feelings of attending a church and having people ask you how you're doing, etc. They might trust God, you know. They might believe with their full heart, but they do not necessarily want to be changed by Him. They're comfortable. Yes, change in the ways of recognizing your sin, trying not to sin as often. You know, maybe you come to Jesus and now you're, you're trying not to lie as much, trying not to swear as much. Maybe you're trying not to lose your temper so quickly. All of these things that you thought that you were, you're no longer competing with your past self. Your desire for him to change every aspect of who you are is what truly matters. He calls you to something completely new. Stated in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And that's actually really refreshing to know, church, because when we're striving to have fruit, when we're striving to be more patient or to be more loving, there's no competition to be better than you were before. God just asks you to show up today. So when you have little slips, when you fall into the traps of temptation or sin as a believer, there doesn't have to be this massive guilt of like, oh, I got to prove to God better tomorrow to keep his favor. Like, if we think about it truly, truly, you know, if I look back on all the times when I was sinning, when I was far from Christ, in every single instance, I can recognize that God was still there. So how come when we come to Christ, we feel this added pressure to continue to earn his favor? He was clothing you and feeding you and blessing you when you were spitting in his face, running from him, didn't care about who he was. You think he's really going to abandon you now when you're trying to work to be more like him, but you have a few little slip-ups? Take that pressure off yourself. You have nothing to prove. God smiles at that too because it often leads us to thinking that it's on us to prove ourselves daily to God so he continues to show us his favor and that is just not true. All God wants is your obedience through which he will do all the work. There's something that Pastor Rusty said in this sermon about a year ago that I have never forgotten. God doesn't want your ability. He wants your availability. Isaiah 1.19 says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 21. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world and was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Our hope is not in that we're going to do better tomorrow than today because we will always fall short. It has nothing to do with our own abilities he gave up the life of his son for you, but you hated him, ran from him, and spit in his face. He's not going to abandon you when you are choosing to follow him. 
We need to care far less about the surface level provision and truly dig deep in ourselves to desire true change from the inside out so we can serve one another and God better. And in return, we will receive a life that if we had nothing, no home, no food, no clothes, God would still be more than enough. And if we had the fruits of His Spirit, any lacking in material possession would be a vapor in the wind, just as Scripture tells us our lives are in James 4.14 when it reads, You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. If you focused on the fruits, not having a certain thing is never going to bother you, drag you down, or hold you back. Since we want to be who we are, but add Jesus into the mix, we will continue to fall short because God looks at us and goes, My child, you ask too little of me. So going to scripture, if we're trying to learn about patience, if we want to have more patience, Matthew 7, verses 7 to 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The reality is as well that too many people just want to be comfortable. And this is where the problem comes. And this is where we are stagnant in our growth because we don't want to be in situations that are uncomfortable. I have to tell you today, and this is why it's convicting, every situation that Christ puts you in to serve Him is probably going to be an uncomfortable situation. Matthew seven thirteen to 14 says this, Enter through the narrow gate, For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but the small gate is narrow, and the road that leads to life only a few will find. Do you guys feel comfortable when he nudges you to tell a stranger about him? Do you feel comfortable when someone asks you to pray out loud in front of a large group? or comfortable when you are asked to serve in a ministry. Maybe you've been a member of a church for a while. Maybe you've been a member of this church for a while, but you haven't served anywhere yet, and you feel this nudge to get involved, and maybe you personally feel like you don't like kids, and then God's like, you should be a youth leader, or you should go volunteer at youth. You should go hang out with 60 crazy, energetic kids every Friday night. That's not going to be comfortable for you, but it's commanded by God. Probably not always comfortable in every situation where God asks of obedience, but what you receive in return, church, is far more valuable. Love, joy, peace, patience slash forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are what we should be desiring to have more than anything else. For they are what will lead you to places and experiences with God that will blow any of your fleshly dreams out of the water. And it's never going to come close. I wonder how often we ask God for fruit. For opportunities to change in ways that will praise and glorify our Heavenly Father. You may not, because honestly the truth is, is in the lessons that give us the most trial. That challenge us the most. That are the most uncomfortable Situations of discomfort. We look back and we praise God for bringing us through those trials. 
But do we ever actually ask God for them daily? Today we're talking about patience. Patience. Something that I struggle with. It's a fruit that I've learned through hard challenge. Difficult, frustrating, and uncomfortable situations. It's a great area for growth and an easy one to start working on as there are endless opportunities daily to grow in patience. But do we truly want God to make us more patient? Okay, exercise time. Everybody close your eyes. This is not a, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to certain things, but this is not a count. I'm not monitoring. I don't care if you raise your hand or not. This is a moment where you guys are going to relax, look inwards, and figure out if you actually desire to be more patient or if that's an area that you know that you need to grow in. So everyone close their eyes. Okay. Raise your hand if you've been impatient this week with anything. Have you been impatient in traffic? Have you been impatient with a child or a spouse or a friend? Have you been impatient at a store or a long line? Here's one for for the current century. Have you been impatient with slow internet or lack of a phone connection? I see a lot of hands for that one. Have you been impatient with the constant change in COVID regulations? You can do this today, but you can't do it tomorrow. Has anybody here in the last week been impatient with the government? How about impatient with yourself? I need to get ready faster. I need to work faster. I got to do this as quickly as possible. I got to get through this sermon so I don't go 20 minutes over time and all the people are angry at me because the lunch is getting cold. Switching the questioning a bit. Have you been impatient with a situation? You don't have to raise your hand for this. Just think about it. About all those things that you just raised your hand to, the lines, the traffic, etc. Have you been impatient with a situation that will take less than a day to be resolved. Meaning within 24 hours, whatever is causing your impatience will no longer be relevant or dragging you down. How about half a day? An hour? 10 minutes? Less than five minutes? Even seconds? Somebody cuts you off and it's, whoa! Like, that's like two seconds of your life is gone and it's the end of the world. We can be in such a hurry that it makes us worry. Okay, you can open your eyes. I got a story. Crazy one. I was working for Laxod Farm for Mr. Tolinar, and uh, many of you will know the family. They're a big part of this church. And we were delivering sod in Winnipeg on a two-way street, okay? So we have a big semi with extended trailer, big super B, double trailer, etc. It's covered in thousands of pounds of sod. And what we had to do was we had to block a lane on a road that was not heavily traveled so that the forklift could take the pallets of sod and they could put them on the side of the road. At most, at most, if a car came and I had to make them wait for the forklift, I might have costed them 20 seconds of their day. 20 seconds. So here I am, 40 degree weather, general labor, working my butt off, trying to honor God, trying to keep a, a positive attitude when I'm doing something that I don't really want to be doing. And, and here pulls up this, 
this $80,000 BMW, you know? Driver's wearing, you know, nice suit, cold water in the cup holder, AC blasting. And I make him wait less than 20 seconds. This guy spent about five minutes outside of his car screaming at me about how I was such a terrible person because I held him up and I ruined his day. He spent such an excessive amount of extra time when he could have just carried on. He was so impatient and yet he was blessed in abundance. He was in such a hurry that it made him worry, but in reality, he cost himself more time by being impatient. So now switching gears here to what really matters. How patient are you with God, the one who gives all good things? Have you ever given up on a prayer request? I definitely have. What is the longest that you guys would wait for God to answer a prayer? A day, a week, a year, 10 years? Would you wait your entire life for one prayer to be answered? If, I, if I'm going to be honest here, I usually wait about a week. I usually wait about a week. If, I'm, if there's something on my heart that I think God has placed on my heart and he's asked me to intentionally pray about it. And I'm not talking like, once a day for three seconds. I'm talking like you're praying about this. Somebody is sick that needs healing. Uh, you're out of work and you can't pay your bills. Like you're fervently praying for a request to be answered. I would say I'd probably make it about a week. If I'm spending hours a day thinking about it in seven days time, God hasn't come through, I tend to move on. Yeah, it's funny, <laughs> because it's usually something that I think I so desperately want, but then I give up praying for it, so how much did I really need it in the first place? Maybe turning to God first and asking Him to reveal my desires to align with His would save me a ton of time. So the next question, should God make us wait? I mean, really, does He really make people wait years to answer a simple request He's almighty God and he commands, you have not because you ask not. So shouldn't we be able to just ask and receive immediately? God's telling us to ask. He says multiple times in scripture that it will be given to us. So why would he make us wait? Should he make us wait? For the young people in this room, uh, kids, young adults, even people like myself at 26 and single, maybe you desire to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe one of your biggest desires is to, to have a spouse, to start a family, how long would you be willing to wait for the perfect person that God designed for you? I mean, remember, we live in a world with dating apps and social media, and we are bombarded by options, and we constantly, constantly feel like we can do better or we deserve better. If God really said, hey, I'm going to give you your perfect partner, but it's going to take five years of focusing on me, is that something that you would actually do? Or would you bounce to the next person's since you have what appears to be so many options? There's an example in Genesis 29. It's the story of Jacob. He is at a well, and this daughter of this man named Laban comes. Her name is Rachel. She's beautiful. It's love is first sight for Jacob. He goes back to Laban and, and expresses, you know, his interest in a partner. And Laban goes, okay, well, here's the thing. I've got a daughter, Leah. She's not so pretty. I've got Rachel. You know, I'll give you Rachel, but, but should I give you Rachel for nothing? 
So, so he says to Jacob, work for me for seven years, and then you can marry Rachel. Seven years of working for your future in-laws? The crazy thing about that story is most of us can read it and go, yeah, I probably wouldn't wait seven years. But then even after Jacob did the seven years, he was deceived by Laban and he actually ended up having to do another seven years. He eventually ended up with Rachel. But if would you go 14 years of work for an answered prayer? Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 29 says, the story of a bleeding woman. There's a story of a bleeding woman. She's suffering. She has been bleeding for 12 years. She's been waiting 12 years to be healed. She has seen doctors multiple times. She has spent her entire life savings on getting treatment, and she hasn't received any of it. Jesus passes through. She uses the remainder of her strength to push through the crowd. She touches the cloak of Jesus, and she's immediately healed. But she had to be faithful through suffering for 12 years. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, it tells us the story of an area in the city where a ton of disabled people hang out. One of those is a man who has been sitting there for 38 years, waiting to be healed, waiting to be able to walk. There's a pool there, and it's, it's very infamous. People that have gone into the water, they, they have been healed when they have come out. And, and every single day, this man waits at the water. And every single day, people pass by him. And they, they mock him, and they don't pick him up, and they don't carry him down into the pool. And all these people go and receive their own healing, but they let this man sit there and rot for 38 years. Jesus comes, tells the man, pick up your mat, and walk. The religious leaders immediately go to the man and they say, you should not have been healed today. You should not be walking today because you, today is the Sabbath. You cannot move your mat on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 38 years of these people passing by him and he's finally healed because of a lack of their servanthood and they're mocking him on the day that he was healed because he picked up a mat? Come on. Could you sit there for 38 years? How about Lazarus? Lazarus is a shorter time frame. But in John 11, we, we read the story of, of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And he was dead for four days. His family didn't bury him, didn't bandage him up, didn't move him. Because they held out hope that Christ was going to come and redeem that situation. I do not believe that if I lost a loved one that I could let them sit there for four days and earnestly pray for a miracle. I would be making funeral arrangements. I would be whatever needed to be done. Like, they're gone. They're gone. All hope is lost, you know? Maybe they're still in a better place in heaven, but I don't think that I would have got on my hands and knees for four days and asked God to bring that person back. How much patience does that take? Even to top that, this would be my last example. We all know the story of Moses who had to lead the people through the wilderness for 40 years. He's not hanging out on a resort, all-inclusive, you know, 40 years. He's not at home in an air-conditioned room with as much food as he needs and as much entertainment as he wants. He's in the wilderness for 40 years, a place of discomfort, a place of challenge and trial. Could you do that? Because remember, the road is narrow and patience requires discomfort. 
If God asked me to do something for 40 years, that's half my life. If I knew God was going to answer at the end of the 40 years, when the time came, I don't even know if I could still remain faithful in discomfort for 40 years, even if I knew what was to come. So, one of the heavier questions of the whole sermon, why patience? Why is patience described as a virtue? A virtue being a trait or quality that is deemed to be morally good, like all of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. These are things that make up who God is, how he is partially defined. Your life is in Christ. So why patience? Well, simply because God is patient. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, Paul is addressing the church in Ephesians, uh, in the book of Ephesians, on how they are to conduct themselves. And he says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is showing the church that patience is not optional. If we are to be like Christ through the instructions of the commands of the Father, who, by the way, we are created in the image of, these fruits are not optional things. Let's rattle off a few verses here. 1 John 2-6 says this, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Was Christ a patient person? Of course. So you are to be. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 1 Corinthians 11.1 Be imitators of me. As I am of Christ. Ephesians hits this one home as well. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, Jordan, that doesn't say walk in patience. Patience is an act of love. So, we are to be patient simply because God is patient. Wait, wait, wait. God needs patience? all-powerful God that can do what he wants, when he wants. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. He needs patience? For what? I wonder in what scenarios God is patient with whom he is patient. Well, I can tell you this, church. If I was to ask you all to close your eyes again, and I said, has God had to be patient with you, you would be lying if you didn't raise your hand. We require patience, and patience is a virtue because of how patient God is with us on a day-to-day basis, constantly giving us opportunities that will change people's eternity, and we constantly pass by, and we make him wait on us to act. Imagine how patient God has to be with you today, and how patient he is every single time he gives you a situation to serve him better, to love other people better, to serve his church better to give better, and we constantly give him excuses that don't even add up. Oh God, it's for the pastors to speak that. It's for the missionaries to do that. It's for the people that are gifted in prayer and can talk freely that should be praying for others. What? So you're telling me that Almighty God, who created you in his image, 
filled you with the power of his Holy Spirit, said you will do greater things than I, and commands you to action, you actually believe that all you're meant to do is show up to church on Sunday, pray before you eat, check a few boxes when you read your Bible, and that's good enough for God. Come on. But we do it. I do it every day. Uh, Sometimes I'm like, hey God, I didn't read my Bible yesterday, but I read it today, so you must be super proud and happy with me, you know? God has to be so patient. Hmm. Christ is the one that puts you in uncomfortable situations. If you're living in fear, if you're not telling somebody about Jesus because you feel like, oh, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? What if I can't quote scripture honestly and they look it up and they, and they question me? What if I'm embarrassed? Maybe my, my faith isn't strong enough. Hmm. Maybe I will crumble under the pressure and I won't help anybody. Yeah, that's a lie from the enemy, church, because the reality is Christ is the one that puts you in those uncomfortable situations. It's Christ that answers the questions. It's Christ that proclaims the gospel. You just have to show up. It's not about your ability, simply your availability. I'm just going to skip a little bit here. We live in a society of intake. I think it's obvious to all of us. We are consumers. Uh, we read, we, we attend sermons. We go to worship nights. We go to youth group. We go to Bible study. We go to life groups. We go have coffee one-on-one with people. We read books and listen to podcasts and sing worship music. Intake, intake, intake. You know, how patient does God have to be with you when you're intaking every single day, but you're still not acting out in obedience? You've been reading books for 40 years, but you never shared the gospel. You've never missed a service in church, but you've never laid hands on a stranger and prayed for them. You've never given an opportunity to see somebody beside you in heaven. You know, I love Francis Chan. Francis Chan's my favorite author. I've read the majority of his books. I've read many of them multiple times. I read them and I feel like, yeah, I need to do better at that. I need to change in that way, you know? And then, and then I finish the book and I close it. I still just go about my day-to-day life. Intake, intake, intake. Hmm. We read all these books, we listen to all these songs, we attend all these sermons, and yet all we need is two sentences, church. You want the blueprint for your life? All you need is two sentences that are found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Oh, you don't want to act on God's obedience because you don't feel like you're enough? He is with you always. You just have to be a vessel. I'm not speaking right now. God is speaking. Honestly, half the time I preach, I black out. I don't even remember what I said because it's just so driven by the Holy Spirit as it should be. It's not about you guys. It's not about the patience that that you need to have, that you need to work for, that you need to earn. It's about digging deep, understanding what God has commanded of you, following in obedience, striving to be more like Christ, and then you will automatically receive all of those things. Two sentences. That's all you need. 
don't got to books and sermons and podcasts and this and that if you're not acting two sentences. I have a friend of mine on Instagram. <laughs> Yesterday, she puts this thing on her story. Do what makes you happy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, do what makes you happy, you know? Get out of that toxic relationship. Quit that job with that boss that is sucking the life out of you. You know, do what makes you happy. And then God was like, whoa, whoa, turn your head sideways. Do what makes me happy, then you will be happy. Do what makes God happy. God has given us everything in his word that plainly describes exactly what is required to achieve everything that we desire out of life. You want to be loved? Well, it's not in a partner. It's in your relationship with Christ. You want joy? It's not about what you have or the amount of friends you have. It's about your relationship with Christ. Do you want patience? Well, it doesn't come from testing yourself, church. It comes from being obedient to tasks that God gives you. Uncomfortable, frustrating, hard. Intake of information without action leads to dissatisfaction. We know as believers in Jesus that this is the only thing in life that satisfies. Christ is all that satisfies So if you want to be satisfied in life and happy, you have to obey the commands that God gives. And not only obey, but act. And that takes an extreme amount of work. If you can, you know, even just as an example in your own head, think about a situation where you might have to be patient. That is never going to be an easy thing to do. Never. A lot of Christians don't act because it forces them outside of their comfort zone. Well, church, it's time to get outside of your comfort zone. It's time to act because I guarantee you that when you listen to those doors that God opens for you and obey, you will never regret it. So many times, you know, like I said, Joan shared Christ with me and I accepted him when I was a wee little lad within these walls. And I didn't tell anybody about Jesus till I was 22 years old. I knew everything. I sat in hours of sermons, read pages of books, spent many, many, many nights at worship nights and learning about what God asks of me. And it took me 22 years of believing in Him to obey His simple command in those two sentences that are in the Great Commission. But the crazy thing about it is ever since then, every time I share, every time I'm obedient, whether it's uncomfortable or not, I always look back and I'm like, why didn't I? Why didn't I before? Why did I have fear? Why did I think I wasn't enough? You know? Every single time God showed up, every single time he was surely with me, always to the very end of the age. So when you are tested, when you are trialed, you can understand that God is there with you. You will never regret it. It's time to demand change from God Life changed from the inside out. But remember, when you are asking God for patience, He's not going to zap you with immense amount of patience that's going to carry you through life. What God is going to do is give you opportunities that are uncomfortable to challenge you, to teach you further patience. Can you honestly say that you want those situations in life today? There will probably be something within the 30 minutes that you leave this room that is going to cause you to have to have patience. 
Are you demanding that change from God? For patience that he's not going to zap you with, but for opportunities to be more patient through situations that are challenging and uncomfortable. That is the reason why we choose to follow Jesus. The narrow road that leads to eternal glory, free of suffering, dwelling in perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father, who created us in His image, who sent His Son to die for us because of how much He loves us. That is what you guys are working towards. That is the the resume of uncomfortable situations that will bring you to a place where you are at the gates and God says, my child, I am so proud of you. Come in, come be in my presence. A lot of times people don't act and they don't want to change because they, they are comfortable. They have a nice car, they have a nice house. You know, the fridge is always full. They travel two, three times a year. They don't actually really want to be tested or changed by God because they believe in him. They know they're going to heaven, and that's enough for them. But what about what Paul says? To live is Christ. To die is gain. This is what the sermon series is striving to instill in you guys as believers, is that no matter what, whether a mountain or a valley, if you are obedient, you will be satisfied. If you have nothing, but you have your relationship with Jesus, that is beyond more than you need. Are you willing to be uncomfortable, to grow in patience, to experience more fruits, more blessings, and more change, to better serve God, and to change eternity for people around you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to challenge your church, Lord. I pray this doesn't fall on deaf ears, but that we understand that that this isn't anything to feel guilt over. This isn't anything to be weighed down by. We are simply called to obey, to pursue you above all earthly things, knowing that that is the only way to have purpose, to be satisfied. God, you are described as patient. The Bible says you are love. You are joy. We look for these fruits everywhere in life but if we're not seeking them from you then they're not even real because you are the true definition of all those good things so i pray that your church even though they may be convicted they are encouraged knowing that there is no pressure on them all they have to do is show up and say today i'm going to put your desires lord over my own And that's not even going to lead you to negativity, church. It's not even going to lead you to doubt or wonder. If you obey God your entire life through a ton of valleys and it sucks and it's challenging and it's uncomfortable, when you get to the end of your life, when you get to eternal glory in heaven, you're not going to say, wow, I wish I was more comfortable on earth. Wow, I wish I was, you know, challenged less so that I could have enjoyed more things. 80 years on earth forever in heaven, man, forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gifts that you give us so that we can serve intentionally as individuals. We are unique and we have your power inside of us. Moses, Elijah, Jacob, anybody that was faithful to you in the Bible, Lord, looks at us in envy because we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us that will give us true change from the inside out. And for that, we are grateful. We give you all the glory and the power is yours. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.